James chapter 5. I've been in James for a few weeks. It just seems to me that the message that this letter provides is one that we need today. In the beginning part of this chapter, James has a correction or a, a warning, if you will, to those in the society in which he's writing to that are, would be considered today uh, the wealthy or the haves. And he's speaking to them about to be sure that they don't get to where they are in life by oppressing others. So he's trying to encourage the church, or as the letter says, those that are dispersed abroad, to understand that when they go through situations that seem unjust and unfair, that God notices, that God sees. And he wants them to be able to conduct themselves in a manner that preserves their witness as Christians, even in the face of difficult times. So my subject this morning is simply anticipating his coming. James chapter 5, I'll begin reading in verse number 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Everyone waits for something. Some people, young people, can't wait to grow up. Then they get a little older, can't wait to get married. Then they progress through life, can't wait to buy a home, can't wait to buy a car, can't wait to settle down. Then we get older, can't wait to retire. The list goes on. It just seems we're always in this stage, regardless of what season of life that we're in, that we're always waiting or anticipating something. The thought of how good things will be if we keep going because it's something that's beyond us and we need to wait for it. Now, those are some of the natural things in life. Well, I know something that is truly, truly worth waiting for. Because, church, there's coming a day. In the twinkling of an eye, not just a trumpet will sound, the trumpet will sound. And we will see the Lord Jesus Christ riding on a horse. The King of kings and the Lord of lords will return to take his people home. That's 
a day worth waiting for. That's a day worth anticipating. But James tells his readers when talking about that day, it's a day for which they should be patient. Most people don't like that word. That's why we have drive through windows at fast food restaurants. I mean, it's a fast food restaurant. Why do you also need a drive through window? ATM machines, microwave ovens. Now, they've become a part of our culture, and they provide tremendous convenience, but they are a sign that we don't like to wait for anything. We must be patient in waiting for the day of the Lord. We told in verse 7 to be patient until it's coming. Now that word patient in the original language literally means to be long and tempered. To almost set a timer for the long run. To focus on the day-to-day life knowing that there is coming a day when our Jesus will return. To looking ahead to his coming. Now, it's not explicitly stated, but the idea, I think everybody would agree, that if someone is asking you to be patient, they are exhorting you to not be impatient. The coming of the Lord is something Christians should look forward to. It's not some mystical idea, nor is it some fairy tale. The Lord Jesus will return one day, and he's coming again, and and that is something that everybody who looks for his coming can get excited about. That's what Paul meant when he's exhorting young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 about fighting the good fight. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but all those who have loved his appearing. Now, don't expect the world around us to pat us on the back for embracing this mindset. They're going to mock us. They're going to think we've lost our minds. They're going to call us crazy. They're going to say it's never going to happen. They'll say it's a waste of energy, it's a waste of emotional capital, it's a waste of time to place hope in this mythical event. To spend any time looking forward to his coming, let alone loving his appearing. I got two words. Let them. Let them. Let them call me crazy. Let them call me nuts. I'm going to follow God's word and look forward to a day and love that day and make it a central part of what motivates me as I move through each and every moment in life. Let them. Our God keeps his promises. He has always kept his promises, and he has promised he will return. And personally, I can hardly wait. His return is a promise. The delay in his return, the Bible is clear. His delay is for those who are currently not loving his appearing, not looking forward to that day, who would today mock his appearance. But one day, oh, church, one day, he will return. But in the meantime, 
We're to be patient. Second Peter chapter 3, verse number 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. James, in trying to convey this mindset of patience, gives a quick illustration of a farmer who plants seed. Plants this seed and puts the seed in the ground and its precious fruit. And he waits for it until not only the early rains, but the latter rain. And the idea that most people have when you say the word wait is they think about just sitting around doing nothing. That's not what patience is. We are to occupy and to be busy until he comes. A farmer who plants seed in the ground in waiting for that seed to bring forth fruit is going to daily take care of that seed, daily invest and impart things to that seed. If we have planted seeds in the lives of people, then our obligation is to care for that seed, to be a witness to that seed, and to love those people until the Lord brings that fruit. To fruition. We can rest in the truth that we are part of this process. One that will be a long time. The people who read this letter back 2,000 years ago believed that the day of the Lord was imminent, and it was not. That's why in 1 Thessalonians, the writer then goes on to say that one day with the Lord is like a thousand years. These things can seem foggy at times. The farmer may not know what's going to happen with that seed. Will it come up? Is there something going on underground that I'm not aware of? Will it ever grow? But that doesn't stop the farmer from caring for the seed. All of us have friends, loved ones, that we've been speaking to about Jesus for a long time. And let's be honest, we've wondered, even for a moment, is it ever going to make a difference? Church, don't give up. Don't give up on anybody. Because aren't you glad someone didn't give up on you? There's an illustration about the great theologian Charles Wesley. John and Charles Wesley were, were blessed with a patient mother. One time her husband said, I marvel at your patience. You have told that child the same thing, and it took 20 times before he did it. Parents ever felt that way? Susanna Wesley looked fondly at the child and said, had I spoken the matter only 19 times, nothing would have ever happened. We don't know what's going to be the moment. We don't know what's going to be the breakthrough time. We need to persevere in patience, not persevere in anxiety. Do you ever tell somebody you're being patient and then ride them until they get something done? I know none of you have. It's somebody else we're talking about today. The message of his coming is one for us today that is about perseverance. The message of his coming is one that says to all of us, don't give up. People will call us crazy. People will look at us strange. I'm not giving up on God or on one another.
Verse 8 says that we are to establish our hearts for his coming is at hand. You see, I believe in his coming. And yes, I believe that there are signs that draw our attention and require us to look at things because I don't know about you, but the last 18 months or so has been a little strange. I'm, I'm probably understating that. It's been a lot strange. But the thing to me is I've heard so many Christians say, if you look around you and you see the signs and what's happening not only within our own nation but globally, that, of course, these are signs that the Lord's return is imminent. I know the words they're saying when I hear Christians say this. But, you see, the Bible is clear in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, of what the proof will be if you really believe the Lord's return is at hand. And what the writer to the Hebrews says, that you will not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, even more so as you see the day approaching. And unfortunately, what I see is Christians getting together less and not more. So don't tell me you believe that the Lord's return is at hand when the proof of what that belief should be is clear. When I believe something deeply, it's going to change the way I look at life. It's going to change the way I treat others. To establish, to take courage, like verse 8 says, to be assured. This assurance should infiltrate my heart. It should infiltrate my thinking. It should infiltrate my decision-making. It should infiltrate my whole demeanor. But, Pastor, it's ugly out there. But Jesus is coming. But, Pastor, people are cruel out there. But Jesus is coming. But, Pastor, people are nuts out there. Well, first of all, we're nuts in here, too. And Jesus is coming. This assurance allows me to say something 20 or 20 million times to someone when the first 19 million times didn't work. Believers are to allow the assurance of Christ's return to help us be patient and take courage. Don't lose hope, no matter what the circumstances are. Jesus is real. Jesus is alive. Jesus is coming again. That's the investment of our life, and it's the investment of our hope. We set our hearts on his coming for every moment it draws closer. Our hope, our anticipation is in that moment. Now, this does, waiting for his return should not look like laziness. We don't sit back and relax. We don't sell everything that we have and go find a mountaintop somewhere and just kind of hang out in some massive commune. Yes, I am speaking about things specifically. That assurance gets us moving. That assurance keeps us motivated. Keep working for him, the realization that the hour is at hand. We must not be like the wicked servant in the parable of the talents found in Matthew chapter 25, where the master had given talents to three sets of servants, and the wicked servant just took the talent that the master had given him and just buried it and didn't do anything with it. 
when the purpose of being given the talent was that it would be invested and it would be expressed and it would be grown. God has imparted something into each and every one of us for the purpose of using it, of developing it, of growing it. Jesus is coming soon. I believe that. Which means we must be about our father's business. We must be about kingdom business, which is reaching souls. So we must be patient about his coming. Here comes the hard part. We must be patient with one another. There, I will freely admit, there are times as I'm reading scripture and the reading of the verses just excites me and I, I, I'm just getting all motivated and pumped up. And then I get to a verse and I'll say the author's name, in this case, James, and I go, James, why'd you put that in there? You, you just messed it up. Verse number nine, do not grumble against one another. Really? Because most people like grumbling so much. That's why you hear it so often. Oftentimes when we go through Bible verses and we get to a word in the scriptures, I will do my best to give the meaning of the original Greek or Hebrew, depending on where we are. I'm going to go out on the limb. I don't need to explain very much what the word grumble means. If we believe the Lord's return is at hand, it will show. And one of the ways James says it will show is that we will not be people who grumble. Hmm. Grumbling meaning groan or expressing not only expressing the concern, but a deep concern. It speaks more about the inner things that we go through. Because you see, openly arguing and complaining, that's not good. But quietly having this unexpressed bitterness inside that kind of sets us off our day, that's even worse. Especially in the light of the fact that church, he's coming. I've always believed that people need to express what's inside them, but that's not licensed to say things any way you choose to say them. The Bible is clear that anything we're going to say, especially to somebody else, needs to be said with certain biblical scrutiny. It needs to be said in love. It needs to be said respectfully. It needs to be said with that it's clear you understand the person you're talking to is made and created and fashioned in the image of Almighty God. Grubbling against one another indicates carelessness. Jesus said, love one another. Jesus said in Matthew 18 that make sure things are right between you and your brother or sister before you approach me. And he says here in James, the judge stands at the door and is ready to return. If we believe that he could come back at any moment, I believe we will act differently. If we believe he could come back at any moment, I believe we will talk differently. If we believe he could come back at any moment, I believe we will care about things a little differently. If we believe he could come back at any moment, I believe we will gossip, quarrel, criticize, and complain a whole lot less. Jesus is not far away. There is a glorious joy. And Paul, to the first letter to the Thessalonians, makes it clear in both chapter 4 and chapter 5. 
as he explains the day of the Lord, as he explains that the Lord's coming back, as he explains that those who have died before they saw the coming will not be cheated out of anything because they will rise first. He explains all of this. And then he says in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, therefore comfort one another with these words. And then again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, therefore comfort one another with these words. Whether his return or my death will be what ends my days in this world. I am driven by a wonderful hope. Church, there is coming a day. There is coming a day. He's coming back. And that truth can settle me. That truth can give me a comfort. And when I'm struggling with that comfort within myself, that's what we're together for, to comfort one another. His presence is comforting, but how many have learned his presence is also convicting? His return is comforting as well as convicting. What will he find me doing? Doing his will, obeying his word, loving his people, being his witnesses, or just doing my own thing? We look forward to his return. And part of this message from James is to be patient. And as if the readers of his letter were not, still not getting the message, he looks to them and says, let me give you some examples. And he quotes two. He quotes Jeremiah and he quotes Job. I would have been okay with him just quoting Jeremiah. But no, James had to ruin it and he quoted Job. Because he says patience has blessings. He says the prophets of old, they modeled patience in that when they came and brought the message from God, they were not treated very well. Jeremiah, as an example, is put in stocks in Jeremiah 20. He's put in prison in Jeremiah 32. He's lowered into a dungeon in Jeremiah 38. Yet that did not stop him from proclaiming the message and living the life God wanted him to live. Yet they persisted because of his call and hope that stood in front of them. You see, part of the point that God wants us to understand is that his presence in our lives, being saved, having Jesus live within our hearts, does not prevent suffering from coming our way. We're not preserved from suffering. He preserves us in suffering. And then he gets to the patience of Job. What an example. Now, Job did complain. Read chapters 3 through almost the end of the book, and Job complained. But notice he complained to God. His comments brought him to God, where for most people, when they get angry at God, they move away from God. He still trusted in God. And it says at the end, the Lord did deliver and restore. Now, I've, I've, I've read and heard many commentaries on Job and his so-called friends. And I only have one footnote on Job. My experience is that the church has been extremely hard on Job's wife. Because they, they comment that she told him to just curse God and die. But I've shared this before. What did Job lose? He lost his health. He lost his wealth. 
He lost his children. He lost everything. What did Job's wife lose? All the same things. And her husband's response to losing all of this, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm sorry, I know many women who would tell him to drop dead too. Because she was hurting as well. But they trusted God. They still trusted, even in their pain. And Job is an example. So what's the end? It was God's compassion and mercy. And that's what waits for us at the end of our journey. An opportunity for us to grow and to recommit to our glorious hope that he is coming. Church, Jesus is coming. In the meantime, we are encouraged to trust him and to wait patiently, without grumbling, without complaining, to wait and persevere and remember that God's delay in coming when if it was left up to you and me, let's be honest, we would have had him come at least 18 or 19 months ago. But his delay in coming is because many of the people that we may have given up on, he's still trying to reach. He still wants to see them become part of the family. His desire is that none should perish. So until the Lord comes, we must be patient. Patient in waiting for him. Patient with one another. Patient like the saints of old. And when patience is becoming an issue, you know the verse from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I've taken great strength from that last part of the verse as I've had back issues that they will walk and not faint. I'm looking forward to that part. Not, they will not lose heart. They will not moan. They will not grumble. But we will wait. We will wait on the Lord. But Lord, don't you see, you really, it would really be wonderful if you came now. I don't remember when any of us became God. None of us knows the day, and God knows what he's doing. Do we believe that? God knows what he's doing. So are we being patient today? Patient in our faith. Patient with the world around us. Patient with our loved ones. But Pastor, you don't realize I've got some members of my family that they're a real mess. Yeah, that may be the case. But Jesus says, I got a plan for them. And that plan may just involve you. That plan just may involve you and me on our knees. Storming the gates of hell on their behalf. Stand with me, please.